begin reading in verse 1 all the way through verse 14. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul asks a question here. For five chapters, he has shown that man is totally undone in sin and that God has provided in Christ a righteousness by which a man may be freely justified. God justifies the ungodly. It's totally based upon the obedience and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's by faith. It is not according to our works. It's not according to what we do. It's not according to how good we are. It's not according to our perfections. It's not according to our obedience or our righteousness. God takes sinners and He justifies them. He declares them righteous by taking the righteousness of Christ and imputing it to the sinner. And that is the best news you will ever hear in your entire lifetime. And he gets to Romans chapter 6, and he says, what then? Because it's so free, and because the more sin there is, the more grace abounds to cover it, what do we say then? Do we say we should just sin all the more, just to increase the grace all the more? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Rhetorical question doesn't give the answer. It's implied. We can't. And he goes on to show us why we can't. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? There's no doubt there's an allusion here to water baptism. But I want you to remember, baptism is only symbolic. It's symbolic of immersion into Christ. Immersion into His death. Immersion into His resurrection. That's what he goes on to say. We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead... By the glory of the Father, we too might be raised from the dead. He says, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly, certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been justified from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you 
also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. <clears throat> I want to talk to you this morning about resurrection. You know, there is no other religion that has resurrection. I mean, some of them, some of them might talk about, you know, coming back in another form. Only the religion of Jesus Christ has resurrection. Somebody was telling me this morning that on the news they're saying, Jesus Christ he said it was in the news this morning. Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. Well, whose authority is that by? And who declares that? Who makes that truth just because they say it in the news? I want to talk to you this morning about resurrection, more specifically about the power of resurrection, the power of Christ's resurrection. If you guys didn't notice anything in these verses about Christ's resurrection... I want to give you a second opportunity to notice. Specifically, look at verse 5. Make no mistake about it, Paul is talking about resurrection in this verse. Romans 6, 5. If we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. You can all see that resurrection is on Paul's mind here. And I'll ask you this. Whose resurrection is being spoken of here? Well, Christ for sure. There's something else being said here, but Christ for sure. You see that in the words. Notice the last four words of that verse. A resurrection like His. Now, even though Paul isn't referring to a resurrection like Christ. Let me say that again. Even though Paul is referring to a resurrection like Christ in this verse and not about Christ's resurrection specifically, you obviously can't have a resurrection like Christ unless Christ has a resurrection of his own for someone else's resurrection to be like. Right? I mean, it's there. You see it. But look at verse 4. Although the precise term resurrection doesn't show up in verse 4, the concept of resurrection clearly does. Christ was raised 
from the dead by the glory of the Father. Raised from the dead. That's exactly what resurrection means. And who is the one being resurrected or raised from the dead? It's Jesus Christ. Verse 9. Paul again makes reference to Christ being raised from the dead. So no one here can dispute the fact that Paul is making reference to the resurrection of Christ in these verses. Clearly making reference to the fact that Jesus Christ was once dead and was raised up from death to life to live forevermore. That's important. You know what? Pope John Paul II died not too long ago. Supposed to be the vicar of Christ upon the face of the earth. Guess where his body is? In the ground. A lot of people in this world claim Muhammad was a great prophet. Where's his body? In the ground. A lot of people look to the philosophies of guys like Confucius. Great men. Where are they? In the ground. Buddhism. They have their living Buddhas. Every one of them has died and where are they? You know what? The grave holds all men except Jesus Christ. His tomb is empty. He did rise from the dead. He's the only one who has. He's the first fruits. The first one. And all those in Him are coming up out of that grave too. Now, I want to review something for you guys here. I want you all to remember something. What has Paul been teaching about? He hasn't been giving a discourse on resurrection. In Romans chapter 5, Paul has not been telling us about the life and times of Jesus Christ. And now he comes here to Romans 6 and tells us how his life ended. That's not the picture. That's not the idea. The purpose of Romans 1-5 through 5 has been to explain the doctrine of justification. And here in chapter 6, Paul is explaining why someone who is justified absolutely and freely by God's grace cannot continue in sin. The reason a Christian man, one who has had all his sins forgiven, and the perfect righteousness of Christ attributed to his record, imputed to him, the reason a man like that cannot continue in sin is absolutely due to the power of the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Christ by its very power and nature makes such an absolute provision for victory over sin that no Christian is able to continue practicing sin. Because the provision of the resurrection of Christ makes it impossible for the Christian to remain under the power of sin. I'm not saying perfection. Paul doesn't talk that way. I'm not talking that way. What I'm talking about is the power of sin is broken, and that's exactly what Romans 6.14 says. Sin shall not have dominion over you if you're a Christian. Why? Because of the power of resurrection. That's why. Paul isn't doing a discourse about the life of Jesus Christ and decides to get to the end and tell us after three days Christ rose from the dead. He's been telling us about justification and he says that the Christian man cannot continue in sin. Why? Because Christ was raised from the dead and if you are a Christian, you are in Christ and the power of His re resurrection becomes the power of your resurrection. We cannot continue. There is absolute 
provision there. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? No! By no means! How can we? That's what he says. How can we? The answer is, we can't. Why can't we? Because if we're in Christ, what has happened is there is a mystical union. Oh, it's mystical because we don't have it all figured out. But it's nevertheless real. We are plugged in to Jesus Christ. United with Him. And being so, there is a power that is unleashed in His resurrection that's directly responsible for the reason we can't continue in sin. What Paul is saying to us here in all these verses, listen, listen to the word. Sin shall not have dominion over you. You shall not be enslaved by sin. That's the kind of wording that comes forth in Romans 6. Well, what's Paul implying? The very nature of sin is to do what? Hold men in its power. There is a nature... You know, why, why do some of these guys out here on the street purpose over and over and over to get their act together, but they can't do it? When you were lost, why is it that as much as you purpose to clean up your life, as much as you made efforts, you could never do it? Why? Because the very nature of sin is to hold you in its grip. It is, its nature is to domineer you, to master you, to hold you in its power. And what Paul says is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is such a power unleashed that when it comes into the life of that believer, it overcomes the power of sin. It is a power greater than sin, greater than death, greater than the grave, greater than the devil. And it comes in and it conquers the power of that sin so that it cannot dominate in your life any longer, anymore. It masters the sons of Adam, folks. But wherever and whenever a sinner is immersed into Christ, into union with Him, a power flows from Christ into that Christian that is mightier than the power of that sin. It is a power that literally raises that sinner who is dead in sin up to spiritual life. A resurrection. Now, I want to make sure you see this. I asked you at the start, whose resurrection is being spoke of in verse 5? We saw definitely the resurrection of Christ is clearly implied there. And then verse 4 and verse 9 talk about Him rising from the dead. But His isn't the only one. Let's read verse 5 again. Romans 6, 5. If we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly... Be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Notice the words, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. The resurrection here is not Christ, but rather a resurrection like His. It is the Christian's resurrection that is like His. When we're united with Christ, the power of His resurrection is unleashed instantaneously in such a manner that the one united to Christ experiences an actual resurrection of His own that is like His. And remember, resurrection means becoming alive where there was previously death. Look at verse 13. Present yourselves to God 
as those who have been brought from death to life. Do you see it there? You have been. If you're a Christian, you have been brought from death to life. It's not just saying here, count yourself to have been. Now, that's part of what he's saying here. He's saying you have been. If you're united to Christ, you are new. You have risen spiritually. Now, that's not to deny that there isn't a future resurrection where our bodies will come forth from the grave. But you have already risen from the dead spiritually if you are in Him. Past tense. Have been. In the moment you were united to Christ, you experienced such a demonstration of the power of Christ's resurrection that you yourself rose from the dead. Paul speaks of this power to the Ephesians this way. The immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. Listen to that again. Immeasurable greatness of His power. Not just floating around out up there some nebulous fashion. That power is toward us who believe according to the working of His great might. How great is this power, Paul? Well, it's the power that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. The same mighty demonstration of power that worked in Christ when He was resurrected is also said to be toward us. The power of Christ's resurrection and immeasurable greatness of God's power raises us up to a mighty resurrection of our own. A resurrection that Paul says that is like His. Now that is what Paul says in Romans 6.5. We have a resurrection that is like Christ. But we need to ask ourselves this question. What is Christ's resurrection like? It's true that when Christ came forth from the grave, He came forth with a resurrected body. And it's true that those who are in Christ will have their bodies resurrected in the last day. When Christ returns. But when Paul says a resurrection like His, he doesn't seem to be primarily talking about the resurrection of our physical body. His whole... Remember, folks, remember this. Paul's whole issue here has to do with why it is impossible for the sinner to continue in sin now. Not why it's impossible when we're glorified. Why is it impossible now? It's impossible now because of resurrection now. That being raised to newness of life is now. It's not just in the future when we get this body. That's important for us to understand. His whole issue here has to do with why it's impossible for the sinner to be in sin at this moment, not in the future when Christ comes. When Paul says Christians have a resurrection like His, look at verses 10 and 11. He shows us what the resurrection is like. What's it like? For the dead, or for the death, He died. He died to sin. Once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. 
So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And I want you to understand, verse 11 isn't saying consider something that's not true to be true. He's saying consider it because it's a reality. You are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Well, verse 10 describes the death and resurrection of Christ. Verse 11 talks about us paralleling it with Christ. Death to sin, life to God. That is the description of Christ's resurrection. That is what His resurrection is like. Dead to sin, alive to God. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He died to it, for it, and has risen to a life that He lives to God. Because that power falls upon those who are united to Christ. It produces a resurrection. We who are dead in sin suddenly become dead to sin. And alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, you know, I've said all this, but the whole point is the resurrection of the Christian is not fiction. If you are in Christ, you have died to sin and now are alive to God. It is a reality. Such a reality that Paul says you must consider this to be so. You must feel the weight of this. You must consider this to be a reality in your life. The truth is, it seems to me that there are those out there, even in reformed circles, even those that believe the doctrines of grace, They're out there and I believe they are misrepresenting what true Christianity is. Why do I say that? How often do people take verses like this? You know it very well. Jeremiah 17.9 The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? They take that and and in the course of, of discussing Christianity, they apply that to Christians. They say, well, you know, you have to watch out and you have to be careful. After all, your heart is desperately wicked. You just can't trust it. What in the world Bible have they been reading? The New Covenant tells me God takes the heart of stone out and puts a heart of flesh in there. The reality is, if you are a new man or woman in Christ Jesus, that heart is new. You are a new creation in Christ The old things are passed away. All things have become new. We don't look at Christians as as these these people that walk around in some great mounds of, of sin and corruption. Listen, our resurrection is like His in this. He died to sin. He's alive to God. That's the whole context here. Dead to sin. No longer enslaved to sin. Sin has no dominion over you and alive to God. Walking in newness of life. That is the spiritual resurrection. That is the first resurrection. I remind you, so often it seems like Romans 7 is another big area that Christians love to run back to. Oh look, we do the things we don't want to... Listen, I'm not saying that there's perfection in Christianity. But what I'm saying is this. You better remember this whenever you want to go back to Romans 7 and justify any sin in your life. 
What it says there is there's no good thing in me that is in my flesh. And he goes on to the next chapter to say that if you live in the flesh, folks, you can't please God. You're at enmity against God. And if that is the course of your life, you are dead in your sins. You're not alive. So before you go using Romans 7 to justify you living a life, you know, doing the things you supposedly... Listen, Christians are resurrected to a life that is lived to God. The man who begins to live to God has been endued with a power now which he never had before. The Christian has the power to really pray. His, his, to have power with God. There's a power to wholeheartedly praise. Many of you that sit in here, you didn't have the power in you to sing that song to God's praise that we just sang a little while ago before God resurrected you to spiritual life. You didn't have the ability. You could have mouthed the words. Oh, when you pray, you can bend the knee. But nothing with power. There's such a demonstration of power in the life of the Christian that they actually have the ability to commune with God. It's such a life-transforming power, a recreative work, that the sinner who was once dead in their sins is brought to life where they have the ability to see God. To see Him. To hold Him. To taste Him. To hear Him. To eat of Him. To enjoy Him. To have Him. Commune with Him. Communicate with Him. An ability to receive communication from an invisible world. To rightly discern God's Word. A power to send messages up through the veil to God. That man no longer simply sees God as someone to be appeased and pushed away and dreaded and served only through outward ceremonies. But now, by that power of resurrection that has come into the life, the Christian is now... He sees God as desirable. He longs for Him. He wants closeness with Him. No more grudgingly giving up what he really loves in an attempt to save his own skin from the fire. A love has sprung up in his heart for the Lord. A thirst is there that he finds can only be gratified and satisfied by Christ Himself. Oh, Some of you, you have religion. But your religion doesn't bring you joy. It doesn't bring you life transformation. It doesn't make turn you into a person who loves what you used to hate and hate what you used to love. To love righteousness, to love God, to love good things. Your religion doesn't do that. Your religion is simply service. It's a list of rules that you feel grudgingly you need to carry out so that in the end you can be received by a God who's distant, unfriendly, and really not all that loving at all. That's what so much of religion, all of religion in Christianity is like. People go through the motions. But true Christianity is different. There is a power in resurrection that makes people live unto God. To love God. To want God. To long to have God. To be like Job. Oh, that I might have it as it were in the days past. I look on the left hand. I can't find Him on the right hand. He's not there. I'm looking for Him. Like the psalmist. Oh, when shall I come and stand before the Lord. When shall I come and have Him? Where is He? I can't find Him. I'm like that deer that's at the water brooks or longs for the water brooks. I can't find it. I want to lap it up. 
Where is Christ? We feel this, this enclosure in this life that we can't have all we want to have. That we can't reach as far as we want to reach. That we can't hold Christ the way we want to hold Him. We can't see Him the way we want to see Him. Why? Because we have life. We're not dead anymore. We're not dormant. We're not cold. We're not lifeless. There is true life and reality. Listen to me. There's that you can get on the internet and look at these Gallup polls that want to tell us that abortion in the church in the United States is the same as out there in the culture. You can look at the polls that want to tell us divorce is just as rampant in the church today as out there. You know what they're doing in their polls? They're polling people who know nothing of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and know nothing of that power in their lives. How do I know that? Because where the power of resurrection is, there is transformation. There is life. There is a living to God and sin does not have dominion over them. The fact is, the Christians in this church, the Christians in this city, the Christians in this country, and the Christians in the entire world doing quite well. They are making advances. They are living under Christ. Not perfectly. Not that they don't have sins. Not that they don't have trials they have to work through. Not that they don't have things that they fall into. That they don't need to repent. But by and large, they are out there being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. They are living in the power of that resurrection. They have newness of life. They are absolutely created. They are craftsmanship of Jesus Christ. Christ to good works. They are out there doing good. They are in here doing good. They go home to their workplaces and their homes and their schools and they do good. Those who know resurrection, that's their life. But we've got a lot of phonies in this land. We've got a lot of phonies in the world. We've got some that sit in this place that don't know the vitality of what it is to be immersed into Jesus Christ. United with Him. Plugged into Him. Listen, I want you guys to realize the church today is not Old Testament Israel where the bulk of this thing ran around lost in their sin, given to idolatry. That's not the church. The church is regenerate. The church is alive. The, ch the church isn't where you, get, you have a little remnant inside the hole that's real and alive. The church is alive. The church is in Christ. The church is is saints. Oh, that we may know Christ and the power of His resurrection. But get that. That was the heart of Paul. That's the heart of true Christianity. Oh, that we may know Christ and the power of His resurrection. It was Christ it was the power of His resurrection that Paul longed after. Beware of studying doctrine and books and confessions and experiences apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. He and He alone is the resurrection and the life. He is the heart and soul of all learning. It is the power that flows from Him that changes men. My experiences don't change men. Nor will all my book learning, 
And for that matter, neither will my preaching. My skills and abilities can't fill you with a sense of glory and immortality and power to conquer sin. Only the life giver, the one who imparts resurrection to whomever he will, he alone raises the dead. And you know, when you look at Romans 6, there is a theme here. Verse 3, baptized or immersed. Listen to these words, all these prepositions. Into Christ. 6.4, buried therefore with Him. Romans 6.5, twice, united with Him. Romans 6.6, crucified with Him. 6.8, died with Christ. 6.8 again, live with Him. Romans 6.11, dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We only live because He lives. And never is our life more joyous or more full of power than when we look most steadily at Him. The first resurrection, the spiritual resurrection, lies with His power. We have nothing. We are nothing apart from Him. Our past, our present, our future are only as bright and as alive and as real as He shines upon us with His resurrection power. Folks, our every comfort, our every hope, our every enjoyment we possess, we receive and still have because of our connection with Jesus Christ, our Lord. Apart from Him, we are naked, poor, miserable, I want to impress upon your minds the need of abiding in Him. The power of life flows from Him. I hope you perceive and understand that you must be connected with Jesus. There must be power in life drawn from Him. It's only in Him that sin has no dominion over us. It's only in Him that we have resurrection unto a life that is lived to God. Everything depends on Him. Everything. Without Him, you can do nothing. I have felt this for some time. I feel desperate in my own heart that God would begin to save many We've had a few in the six years we've been at church, but they've been scattered and sparse. I know the resurrection is to be according to the working of His mighty power. And I can't produce it. Our church can't produce it. He and He alone is able to subdue all things unto Himself. In its fullness, the power of resurrection dwells in Him. Church, what we've got to do is let us be about stirring Him up. It's Him we need. We need to cry to Him with every bit of might, every bit of power, every bit of voice, every bit of unction that God gives to us. We need to be about giving Him no rest until He puts forth that same power now. It will only be in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we're going to see the dead in this city come to life. 
or the dead in our families come to life. Our dead children come to life. It's only there. You know, and folks, I know how this is. I struggle with this. We get fearful. We get fearful. We begin to, to you know, we get out the, the, the magnifying glass and the microscope and we look. Oh, what's wrong with us? And I'm not saying that we don't need to be vessels fit for the Master's use. But we can get to the place where we think, oh no, is our faith too little? Am I not believing enough? He doesn't do mighty, many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And we're looking at this thing. Oh, is the problem with us? Is the problem here? Is the problem there? But Scripture says, He is the resurrection. When men hear His voice, they rise to life. It is Christ who is able to subdue all things to Himself. It is He that has life in Himself. By a man has come the resurrection of the dead. You know what? In many of the verses in the Scripture, man seems to be obliterated right out of the text. Why? Because it's not our power. It's His. He's able to subdue. He's able to do it. It's Him we must call upon. You can for always and ever be looking at yourself in the mirror. How good am I? How perfect am I? How much have I done this? Folks, history tells us God doesn't use the perfect. He doesn't use the mighty. Who has He used? From the very beginning, He dragged out a bunch of fishermen from Galilee and used them. Were they the mighty? Were they the ones that were all scholarly? Were they the ones all taught? You know, we have places today that tell us well, if we're going to have a man in the pulpit, we've got to find a man with an education from one of the best seminaries in the country. We need to make sure we find somebody with enough PhDs or whatever after his name that we can put him in our pulpit. Whatever happens to men that know the Word of God, sit with an open Bible, have a heart that's filled with a warmth from God, a love for man, a man who knows to walk with God, that's what we need today. Not somebody that's great. Not somebody that's highly educated. There's nothing wrong with education. We need to know our Bibles. What I'm saying in all this, folks, is look what Christ used throughout history. Who has it been? The highly learned? The most polished? No, it's rough guys like Peter who deny their Lord. And in the grace of Christ is brought back again, empowered by Him. And able to preach in such a way 3,000 are added in one day. It's not because these guys were so talented. God doesn't use the mighty. He uses the lowly. He uses the off-scouring of the world. Why? Because it's all about His power. He doesn't need our polish. He doesn't need our shine. He doesn't need our abilities. He doesn't need all that we have to offer. Folks, so much of religion is about how we can get the guy with all the gifts and we can get the guy with the greatest education. We can get the guy that draws the crowd and makes people laugh. That's not where the power is. Lest we ever get to the place. We're in a place right now where we wonder about, well, where are we going to meet in the future? The day you start putting a building in the place of the Holy Spirit is the day we'll grieve the Spirit of God right out of here. You think a building is the answer? It's not the answer. The only answer to this church and any other, to any of God's people, anywhere in all this universe, folks, is the power of resurrection. That's what we need. That's what we must have. And anything else is putting our hopes and putting our trust in a, in a bag with holes in the bottom, folks. Resurrection. The power of resurrection. And I just want to ask you guys, as I'm finishing this up, the Word of God says we're born again, not a corruptible seed. We're born again. We're made alive. We experience this resurrection through what? 
through the incorruptible Word of God, through the Word of truth, James tells us, we are brought forth. And I want to ask you guys this. If it is through the preaching, and that's what Christ said, all power has been given to Him on heaven and earth. All the power. All the resurrection power. All the power to bring men forth from the dead. And He bids these weak, these, these lowly fishermen to go forth in that power and do what? Not bear the sword. The apostles of Jesus Christ are not the apostles of Muhammad that go around bearing the sword in this world, folks. Christ didn't say, go take out revenge on my enemies. You know what He said? He said, go and preach and teach a message of love to this world. And in that message, I will bear forth My power and bring dead men to life. And I want to know, church, do you believe that? Do you believe that with your whole heart and soul? In your mind, do you have that understanding? If you believe that, if you believe it's through this Word that men are brought forth from the dead, then I want you to look at your life and tell me, how much are you taking this Word for? How much are you spreading it? How many fields are you planting with this seed? Because it's only in this Word that Christ has said His power of resurrection will be dispersed to mankind. Only through that Word, men are born again only by this incorruptible seed. Church of God, we've been committed with it. Our commission is to take it forth. We desire to see the power of resurrection. We we will not be the instruments used to bring it forth unless we are the instruments out there setting it forth according to what Christ has said. I'll tell you this. Christ is risen from the dead. And if He's not risen from the dead, you and I are yet in our sins. And you and I of all people are most miserable because we're making sacrifices for the sake of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. For the sake of Christ and for the sake of Gospel. He told us to forsake all. If you're forsaking all and He's not risen from the dead, you of all people are most miserable because you're giving it up in this life and you're giving it up forevermore as well. But I'll tell you what, those of you that have put your confidence in Him, this is no fool's errand. Because I'll tell you this, He did rise from the dead. That grave couldn't hold Him. There's a grave over there in Jerusalem. It's empty right now because it couldn't hold Him. You know why it couldn't hold Him? Because death couldn't hold Him. You know why death couldn't hold Him? Because the wages of sin is death. Death can't hold you when sin has no claim on you. When the law is perfectly fulfilled and the sin is perfectly paid for, there's no curse, there's no death, there's no tomb that holds you. Jesus Christ could not be kept in that tomb because sin was perfectly paid for. It was finished. The Father accepted it. That grave could not hold Him. He is alive forevermore. And every one of you that put your trust in Him will find that there is that same resurrection life imparted to you. This is reality. I didn't always believe this. For 25 years of my life, I didn't know anything about resurrection. My God was my pleasure. 
and I served it. And I knew nothing about glory. I knew nothing about justification. I knew nothing about what Christ had truly accomplished. I knew nothing about the power of resurrection. But I do now. And some in this room do too. And I'll tell you this. You will never find a true Christian in all the world who has gone back. I'll show you Catholics who renounce it. I'll show you Hindus who renounce their faith. I'll show you professing Christians who renounce their faith, but they were never true. They were never real. Because where once you are brought to life in Christ, you're alive forevermore. The power of resurrection is a power that keeps you to the end. God who started that work will complete it. God keeps the the saved sinner by His power through faith. The very power of God would have to be overpowered for the sinner to fall away. Not one of us in this room that have truly been rescued that way would go back. You can talk to us. What we were, what we had, what we enjoyed, we would not trade for Christ. Not at all, no way, no how. <clears throat> and the fact is, I can say this for myself, and I think my brothers and sisters can truly affirm this in their own hearts as well. I would rather die than lose Christ. I would die for the sake of Him and for the sake of His truth. Because death can no longer hold me. Have you never read what Moses wrote about the bush? God is the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. Death couldn't hold Him. I'm in Him. Death can't hold me. Father, this is our hope. Christ is our all. He is the resurrection and the life. We know that if we have Him, we don't have Him and life. We have Him because He is the life. We have life because He is the life. We have the way because He is the way. We have the truth because He is the truth. Oh Lord, for the joy of this church and for the glory of our Father in Heaven, would You please answer this prayer that we ask in Christ's name. That You would unleash the power of resurrection. Amen. You're dismissed. Oh, by the way...